Well, let us turn this evening to 2 Corinthians and to chapter 3. That's Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3. We read from verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And there at the 12th verse. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away. In the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, When Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed unto the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When I look at verses 12 to 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the story was told of a prime minister who was invited to hear one of the most well-known and greatest preachers of his age. And as he sat through the service, listened to the preaching of the word, on the way out, his friend asked him what he thought. The Prime Minister's response was, I haven't a clue what that man was on about. Now, we take it as read that that wasn't necessarily the preacher's fault. Sometimes it is. But there's another reason. The man was spiritually dead and didn't grasp the spiritual truths that were being spoken. And that's true of any man, Jew or Gentile, without the aid of the Holy Spirit and the quickening work of the Spirit, man remains ignorant of spiritual truths There are intellectuals, some of them are scientists, 
and they say they don't accept Christianity. But then there are equally men of similar intellectual stature who do grasp these things and rejoice in them. The whole issue is never an intellectual issue by itself. It's the state of the heart. And the Apostle Paul, in writing to Corinthians, it's the most biographical book in the New Testament concerning the Apostle Paul. If you want to know things about the Apostle Paul's life, what he was like, his experiences, his encounters with the living God, is found in 2 Corinthians, the most biographical book about the Apostle Paul. And the background to this section here with what Paul is speaking is found in the Old Testament. He's drawing a lesson from Exodus chapter 34. And then at verse 29, we have recorded. And it came to pass, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the Mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Moses called unto them, and Aaron, and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh. And he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So that whole issue of a veil that covering his face, Paul uses as an illustration to make a spiritual point concerning the blindness of his own countrymen. The Apostle Paul had a great concern for his fellow countrymen, the children of Israel. So much so that in Romans... He even wished himself to be accursed for his brethren's sake. But there was a veil over their face. And they couldn't grasp these things. The vast majority of Israel in the time of our Lord was in darkness. And especially in John's Gospel we can read 
of Christ's interaction with the religious leaders. Some of them believed, but the majority of them rejected Christ. It's told very plainly, isn't it, in John chapter 5 and John chapter 10. They couldn't see. Though Christ gave clear illustrations and demonstrations from Scripture that he is the promised Messiah, so many couldn't see. But the Apostle Paul, we find Paul's testimony illustrated there in the Acts of the Apostles on two occasions where he meets the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. Paul is in no doubt. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he immediately submits. And Paul becomes the most dominant writer in the New Testament. Thirteen, I believe, fourteen epistles, including Hebrews, were written by the Apostle Paul. But Paul is also known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. Gentile, of course, is a non-Jew. And he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. You see, in Hosea, God said through Hosea, I will call a people which were not my people. So the coming in of the Gentiles was never an afterthought in God's plan. It was part of God's redeeming plan. Many Gentiles since have come to faith in Christ. And Paul explains their unbelief. Why don't they believe? And we can widen that picture, of course, and say, why doesn't anybody believe? Why don't we have queues of people queuing up, wanting eternal life? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's free. Forgiveness of sins. The promise of heaven. But the vast majority are outside. Want to notice four things. Firstly, note the plainness. The plainness. Paul says in verse 12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Great plainness of speech. So Paul isn't going around with some highfalutin message that's so mysterious that nobody can understand. Sometimes you'll come across things like the hidden secret of the Bible or unlocking the secrets of revelation. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's no secret hidden message. One of the great plagues that came to the early church in the second century and it's hinted at in the New Testament, but it hadn't fully developed, was Gnosticism. 
gnosis, knowledge. People are looking for some secret hidden knowledge that exists. But Paul says, no. When we come to you, we use great plainness of speech. Why does he do that? Because he has hope. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And that's the hope that the world doesn't have. The world is chasing bubbles. Quote Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. Chasing the wind. But the real hope of the New Testament is found in the message that Christ brings. And that Christ has done. It brings hope and not fear. Paul says, doesn't he, writing to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. And that's why so many saints throughout the history of the church gave their lives away. It wasn't that they were 105 on their deathbed. They were young people. You know the story, I'm sure, of the two Margarets who were drowned for their faith, side by side. One was an elderly woman. The other one was but a teenager of 16 or 17 years of age. They gave up because they knew this world is not all there is. It's a fool, we would say, don't we? Who puts all their eggs in one basket. And it's the fool who says, all I have in life is this world. Because it doesn't last very long. And its hope is very superficial. But what Paul is bringing is a real hope. To a man that survives the grave. And Paul holds nothing back. In what he preaches. He doesn't preach the good bits and leave out the unpleasant things. He speaks what is plain and clear. In 2 Corinthians 2 and there at verse 17, Paul says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. That's one of the good things if a preacher preaches through books of the Bible. It's not the only way, of course, that you can preach. You can preach on themes or Bible characters. But going through a, a book... Or a section of a book. Means that you have to deal with all the passage that's there. You can't just pick your favourite bits. And if you're going to deal honestly with the text. Then you have to speak the things that the people don't want to hear. 
or it may be unpleasant to the ear. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Notice those occasions he speaks of in the sight of God. And any preacher that's going to be honest with the Bible preaches the whole counsel of God. And Paul would say that elsewhere. We have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. So include the whole of the Bible. Holding nothing back. Speaking the gospel in plain terms. Now, when a man or woman or child becomes a Christian, that's an education in itself. You know, you take any field of study, you come across words and phrases and terminology that you scratch your head and think, what does that mean? But you don't avoid those terms. You bring people up to the standard of these things. You don't bring the Bible down to the standard. You bring people up to these things. And you teach them plainly what the Bible means. How it's to be interpreted. How it's to be understood. And that's the job of the preacher. And Paul uses the plain, simple teaching of Scripture. Not avoiding anything. Using great plainness of speech. Bringing the people up to these things. The plainness. Not a secondly, the problem. The problem. In the Old Testament, it was glorious. The message was wonderful. And there were times when God came in the midst of his people. And we read many instances and we see wonderful displays of God's character and God's greatness. There. But much of it was hidden. They rejoiced in these things, but they didn't fully understand. John the Baptist can say, can't he? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. In the Old Testament, there are lambs, and there were sacrifices, and there was blood that was spilt. But it was a picture. The Old Testament is full of pictures of Christ, but they're never fully understood until we come into the New Testament. And then when we come into the New Testament... The Old Testament makes sense. 
and he's playing. But you see, for those without God's Spirit, Paul tells us, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away. So they had all the imagery, the temple, the sacrifices, the offerings. But they couldn't see. They couldn't see. Why couldn't they see? Why couldn't they understand the plain symbolism of the Old Testament? It's because they didn't have Christ. Christ spoke in plain terms. I and my father are one. They knew what that meant. They knew what Christ was claiming. They took up stones to stone him. And Christ asked them why. And they say very plainly. Because thou being a man makest thyself God. So they knew what he was claiming. But they rejected Christ. And in their rejection of Christ, the veil remained. But also the Old Testament was temporary. And by that we don't mean we can do away with our Old Testament. We can't. It teaches us many things. Many promises are in the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't make full sense if we leave off the Old Testament. The New Testament has its full picture and glory when seen in the backdrop of the Old Testament. It now makes sense. It's all coming together. If you're going to make a fitting jigsaw puzzle, You've got all the pieces together. It only makes sense on what you're looking at when all the pieces are put together. And that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Old Testament sacrifices were only temporary. The temple was destroyed. In A.D. 70. And with it. All of the Old Testament sacrifices ceased. Until that point they were being offered. In the temple. But under Titus. The whole temple was burnt to the ground. No more temple sacrifices. That was God. Finally closing the door. They were only meant to be temporary. And they were inadequate. To take away sin. That's why we've said many times. They had to be continually repeated. That's why the. Reformers. Put away their. Garments. And the priestly attire that was often worn by those who were 
officiating as if they were Old Testament priests. Making a sacrifice before God. They said, no, we're all kings and priests. Before God, we don't need an earthly priest to go before. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no need now of an earthly priesthood or an earthly sacrifice or an earthly temple. Paul says we are the temple of God. The Old Testament was external, legal, and could not deliver. And while anybody is looking to an outward form, you'll never have peace with God. The Old Testament is external. New Testament, it's internal. It's in the heart. And the Old Testament brought fear, failure, and frustration. But Paul says, we use great plainness of speech. And he says, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In the Old Testament, there was fear and dread. Even when they... made their sacrifices. The priest, the people would stand there, staff in hand. If you look at the New Testament, you'll notice they were reclining. And laying there, The Old Testament never brought liberty and freedom. So there was a problem. If we didn't have a New Testament, we'd be in the Old Testament with nothing but fear and failure. The plainness, the problem, the perspicuity the third point, the perspicuity. To see clearly, plainly. See, the new covenant is not dark, but it is clear and it is simple. And we see it. We don't have to perform or follow all the Old Testament ritualism you have noticed when instructions were given for the building of the temple it's very detailed everything had to be right and precise and there were many things that had to be performed and rituals 
that had to be done. But he could never bring liberty and freedom. Never brought joy and happiness in its complete sense because they only had the shadow. They hadn't had the complete picture. But the New Testament is seen clearly through Jesus Christ. And it's then we see the old is done away. The new has come. And there is freedom. Nobody can ever get right with God by works. It's very plain, isn't it? Teaching of the New Testament. Teaching of the Old Testament. Of course, never taught justification by works. It's only by faith. Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 4. Dealing with Abraham. There's never been an age when to be justified in the sight of God meant doing our works. And there never will come an age where it'll be a mixture of works plus faith. That's where mere religion goes wrong. They all, none of them teach justification by works. They all teach doing good things. Giving alms. Doing good to your neighbour. And the Reformation wasn't about countering justification by works. It was about justification through faith plus my works. But they got it wrong. Now we mustn't Overlook the importance of works and righteousness. James makes that very clear in his epistle. But what James is saying is, the evidence of true faith is seen in righteous works. But it's not the basis of one's faith, it is the fruit of one's faith. Whereas, and this is where religion and Roman Catholicism other things go wrong. They say, no, the basis of my salvation is faith plus my works. Whereas we say, no, the whole basis of my salvation is faith alone in Christ alone. Good works will then follow in the process of sanctification. As I grow as a Christian. A man, as to quote James, can say he has faith. But if he has no works of sanctified righteousness, we could say, well, they're not a Christian. One of the evidences of a true Christian is they hate their sin. And they love righteousness. They mourn over their sin. And they love 
holiness and righteousness. They want a changed life. They hate the old and they love the new. And the New Testament, of course, needs nothing adding to it. Nowhere in the Bible does it speak of a coming prophet after Jesus Christ. He's not just a prophet, is he? Many prophets. Moses. Many others that came that spoke the word of God. But there's only one who was prophet, priest, and king. That's why nobody, before or after Christ, holds those three offices of prophet, priest, and king. That belongs to Christ. And we need nothing else adding to it. When Hebrews speaks about being in the last days. That was written, of course, in the first century. The last days. The last days are not something that we are looking to. And people say, I'm sure we're living in the last days. Well, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. The last days are referred to meaning there's nothing more to come. It's the last day. The Old Testament was looking forward to the coming Messiah, to the one who would complete and fulfill all the Old Testament. And that's Christ. It's the last day because there's not another era that is coming. The next stage in God's plan of redemption is the new heavens and the new earth. It's not going to come another age. We're in the last day. And Christ fulfills all the Old Testament, brings it all together. He's the completion of it. Therefore, we're not looking for another testament. We're not looking for another revelation of God. What God has said, of course, He's written down in the pages of the Bible. And there's nothing more to come. No Quran, no Book of Mormon, no Watchtower and Track Society. Revelation gives warning, doesn't it? Add not, Proverbs says, add not unto his word, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Deuteronomy warns against adding to the word of the Lord. Revelation, about not adding. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end. Nothing is to be added. The Christian has everything. I'm not looking for anything else. I have it clearly. 
the pages of Scripture. The perspicuity. The Bible interprets the Bible. Well, now, while there may be passages that we may scratch our head about and say, well, I'm not quite sure what. But that's not very often. The overall message is plain and simple and clear. It's not difficult. Why do so many reject it? Because they're spiritually blind. Then fourthly, the promise. The promise. Now, Paul is, of course, a Jew. All the writers of Scripture were Jews. Maybe, with the exception of Luke, the Acts of the Apostles, The rest is a Jewish book, isn't it? And Paul can say, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They were blinded. Having a zeal for God and great enthusiasm is no sign of spiritual life. Merely having an outward enthusiasm for spiritual things is no sign of a regenerate heart. In whatever form that might take, They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then Paul goes on. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That's our righteousness. It's not looking elsewhere or to my own righteousness. It's rather, isn't it? It's looking to Christ. It's looking to him. That was the great discovery, rediscovery of Martin Luther who realized in spite of all his efforts, to establish his own righteousness. He then realizes through the reading of the Bible. The just shall live by faith. He wasn't an ignorant peasant. When his eyes were opened to that truth. He was a New Testament scholar. Professor. The Lord opened his eyes to see these things and to grasp 
what the New Testament is about and the Old. And in Paul's day, he can tell us they're still blind. His fellow countrymen that he loved. Still blind. Why were they blind? Same reason they're blind today. Same reason any man is blind, blind today. We're not looking at it through Christ. In Christ, it all makes sense. Without Christ, we're spiritually dead. Christ said, didn't he? I have come that he might have life and that he might have it more abundantly. In Jesus, all becomes plain and clear. We need, don't we? The word and the spirit. Without this Holy Spirit, who is God, third person of the Trinity, it all remains shut out from us. But through the working of the Holy Spirit, There is freedom and liberty given. You need both the word and the spirit. And as we read the Old Testament, we can see, can't we? If we're a Christian, because we've enlightened eyes. The veil is gone. And if anybody says, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the meaning and purpose of life and you present them with Christ, and they say, no, no, it's not that. Heard people say that. No, no, that's not it. Well, then there's no hope then, because without Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, we remain shut out and ignorant in our sin. But Paul is very clear. Remember who Paul is? What Paul was? A Pharisee. A religious teacher? Persecuting the Christians. But then he becomes a Christian. How? By God. By Christ coming to him. Paul only ever understood all these things when he met Christ. And when he met Christ... He was totally transformed. And he says, now I see it. And every Christian can say, once I was blind, but now I see. We need to pray, don't we, for Jew and Gentile. That the Lord would open their eyes that we may see these things and behold these things. And in so doing, we find great liberty and freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let